0: Hey, Survivor fans, let's talk about a snack that would take that island by storm. Wonderful pistachios.
1: Wonderful pistachios are the undisputed champions of proteins. They pack a punch, boasting six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. That's over 10% of your daily value. Talk about a powerhouse snack. And let's not forget the lineup. We're talking flavors galore. Sweet chili, salt and pepper, honey roasted, Wonderful Pistachios is like a flavor festival for your taste buds. Perfect for tribal gatherings or on-the-go adventures. The no-shells option is a game changer. Just grab and go. It's that easy. So Survivor Squad, if you want to outwit, outplay, out-snack the competition, make Wonderful Pistachios your go-to snack. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more.
2: Friday and streaming on Paramount Plus Cal Fire's coming to you Don't miss TV's hottest show Fire Country This is a high complexity rescue with a low chance of success
1: Follow the rules and you shave another day off
2: your sentence Critics call it explosive And pure entertainment I'm a fella, I'm not fit to be anything else You're not an inmate, you're a firefighter Bring it on Fire Country, new episode Friday 9, 8 central on CBS And now streaming on Paramount Plus
3: Welcome to On Fire with Jeff Probst. That's me, and this is the only podcast that takes you inside the making of Survivor from the producer's point of view. I'm the host and showrunner of Survivor, and each week I'm joined by two other television producers, Brittany Crapper, who's one of our supervising producers on Survivor. Hello, Brittany. Hello, Jeff. And Jay Wolf, an independent TV producer and the producer of this podcast. What up, Jay? Hey, hey. All right, so today in our featured topic, we're going to dedicate it to answering your questions. We've received a lot of questions over the past several weeks, and since we only answer a few each week, we thought, let's just take one episode and answer a bunch. Plus, one lucky fan gets to tell me why I suck, Brittany. You sure you
0: don't want to do a whole episode of that?
3: (laughs) Uh, I'm sure, yeah. All right, (laughs) let's start by getting inside Episode 11 of Survivor 44. Jay, what do you got?
1: Well, this was such an exciting episode, and I feel like at this point in the season, it gets so close to the final three as a player or as a couch watcher. You start doing all this sort of mental math of like, okay, is this, right. this person going to do that or is this person going to go here? How does that change for the people on the production side?
3: I don't think it really changes for us other than we start to shift are thinking because we know we're about to turn the game over to the jury, which is the last phase of the game. So I think it impacts us in that way. And and next week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to use next week's episode to set you up for the finale so we can get into that in a little more detail.
1: Cool. I'm excited. The next piece of this episode that I wanted to bring up, and I think a lot of fans are with me, is that this challenge, we've seen it before, and man, it's so hard to watch. It's just yeah. it's one that gets to you. And I remembered from season 43 that, This challenge lasted all the way through the tide, rising all the way and then falling back down. So I was curious if you made any adjustments between 43 and 44.
3: No. I mean, this is a really classic challenge where you have to put your nose and your mouth up to that steel grate as the tide rises. Last year, I think, was a perfect storm. The right players on the right day, and that's the way it went. But we didn't change anything. We never anticipated that we would have the same result Uh, We believe in the challenge and the way it's designed.
1: Well, and you saw it because Jam Jam is so locked in that he doesn't even realize that he's won.
3: Well, I think that challenge, especially Jam Jam's win, is a great example of what we're capable of in terms of focus. Because in today's world, we're, we're challenged by interruptions all the time. It's hard to get anything done. But out here your distractions are gone. You don't have technology. You don't have a phone. You can't text. There's no social media to check. You don't have friends dropping by for a visit. You don't get any news or updates on anything. So once you settle in and you realize, okay, this is the way it's going to be for a while, you start to get your focus back. And you really saw that in Jam Jam. He was completely gone. He was in some sort of meditation somewhere else and it worked he did something he never dreamed he could do and he won one of the most difficult challenges we do on survivor
1: yeah and he's physically shaking and he gets up out of the water and he hugs you and he's running this <laughs> emotional spectrum
0: yeah that that speaks to the wear and tear physically and emotionally that contributes to that vulnerable state you know often right. when you interview someone like Jam Jam later about that same challenge, they won't remember a lot of the details because it's so overwhelming and they're totally depleted.
3: Which always fascinates me that they really don't remember that they just won.
0: Yeah, it's almost like
3: they black out.
0: Another really
1: fun moment that happened later in this episode. I was curious, Jeff.
0: Carolyn got mad
1: at you at tribal. Did that scare <laughs>
3: you? No. Well, maybe a little, but I'm so I'm so <laughs> glad you brought it up because here's my truth about Carolyn. This is why, personally, I relate to her. That spewing truth serum, that's how I want to be in my life. And I, I mean it. I think my inner circle would say I'm close to that, you know, because I will get a little corny and say everything I'm feeling, and it's always positive and grateful and love. But even in those times, I will overstep and say too much and then go, ah, man, kind of regret that. Wish I could take it back. But <laughs> Carolyn doesn't. She just lives by it. This is who I am every second. And that includes me. If she doesn't like something I say, I really admire that.
1: Well, I loved this tribal council in total. And I walked away from it thinking, man, it was so satisfying to see that idol get played in the best way. And then a few minutes later, I thought about it. And I thought, she didn't need to play the
3: idol at all. (laughs) They had the votes. (laughs) Well, that's true. It's interesting. If you actually go back and look at that, she originally wrote down Lauren, Carolyn did, and then she crossed it out and changed it to Danny. I didn't talk to her about this, but I'm guessing that what she was contemplating up there was where are the votes going and what do I do with my vote and my idol? Because that, had she stayed with her original vote, it could have easily been a three-way tie with Carson, Danny, and Heidi. So the moral of that story is, once again, if you're watching... You can play Survivor from the couch. But if you're playing, you must play within the war based on the information you have. Like John Nash said, every player must make their best move on the assumption that every other player is making their best move. So if Carolyn's information and deduction led to her believing that Carson was in trouble and she needed Carson's vote for her own game, then she must play the idol. Of course, you can roll the dice and sometimes you get lucky. But if you just go with pure strategy and no emotion, play the idol and survive to the next day with your alliance intact. All right. When we come back, an entire featured topic dedicated to your questions.
2: Be right back. Friday and streaming on Paramount Plus Cal Fire's coming to you Don't miss TV's hottest show Fire Country This is a high complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules Then you shave another day off your sentence Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else You're not an inmate. You're a firefighter Bring it on Fire Country. New episode Friday 9, 8 central on CBS and now streaming on Paramount Plus
3: Welcome back to On Fire with Jeff Probst, our featured topic, your questions. Jay, get us going.
1: All right. Well, for today's episode, I have a fun surprise in that I have some of the questions as voicemails, but I'll read this first one. Hi, Jeff. Longtime viewer, first-time emailer. How did you determine how much food the contestants need to survive? Is there a nutritionist on set? Love the show. Thanks, Brittany.
3: I love this question. And I love that she asked if there was a nutritionist on set, which there isn't, but I'll just use this new era because I think it's a good example. When we redesigned the show to 26 days, which we did as an answer to the COVID restrictions, one of the very first things we knew we wanted to do was give them no food for as long as possible. So we talked with our medical team and we went through all the factors that we had to consider and we formed a plan. So we knew going in how many days we were okay to have the players go without food before we introduce something like rice. And the truth is you can go quite a while without eating. We get our energy from our stored sugars and you get that from carbs. So if you don't eat for a day or two, your body just uses that stored sugar and then you're okay for another day or two and then you get low again and you get fatigue again. So when you finally run out of that glycogen, the body starts to burn the fat and that's where you get your energy. So what happens is after a few days of that, so you start out, you're starving, you go to your stored sugars, then that runs out. Now you start eating your fat. But after a few days, weirdly, your energy levels can actually return to a somewhat normal state because it turns out, as I learned from Dr. Joe, that Fat is a great source of calories. You get twice as much per gram compared to carbs. And that's what they mean when they say ketosis. That's what's happening is you're burning fat instead of sugar.
0: And that's why like people with a low amount of fat and athletes, they actually struggle more than someone who comes in with more body fat because their bodies start eating their muscle to provide that energy. And someone who is, say, 20 pounds
3: overweight
0: easily has enough energy stored to last
3: a month without eating.
0: I love that you know
3: that. I mean, this Jay, this is how much (laughs) we learn. And here's something else that I thought was fascinating is the person who has more body fat, if you put yourself into this situation you're going to preserve your muscle mass. In fact, it might even increase. Like Boston Rob, I remember, I can't remember which season, but one season he came in and he was heavier. And everybody's like, ooh, Boston Rob getting a little thick. No, Rob said, I'm planning on being here the whole time. So I want some fat that my body can eat. Smart. Good thinking. All right.
1: Well, here is question number two. Hey, Jeff and team. This is Kevin from Minnesota. and Thanks for the great podcast. I've been enjoying it and have been a fan of Survivor since the very first
3: episode. So here's my question. What are the rules for the castaways? It seems like there must be some established boundaries. For instance, can castaways steal from each other? What if there was a fight? Could one tribe
1: raid another tribe? Could someone have broken apart the birdcage to get
3: inside without using the key? And has anyone ever broken the rules and what were the consequences? Well, Brittany, why don't you hit it philosophically, how we approach this?
0: Honestly, our overall philosophy is we want as few rules as possible. And we try to live by that even when unusual situations arise and we have to make a decision or like a judgment call. We always defer to do we have to be involved? If not, then we stay out of it.
3: Same on challenges. Kuroff and I will go Back and forth on nitpicky rules. I drive him crazy because I'll say, it doesn't matter. Let him figure it out. And of course, he's always right. It always comes out that he's like, I told you you should have told him. I just, I got authority issues, you know, I got my own stuff to deal with. But let's get into some of Kevin's specifics. Jay, let's play, uh, we're going to do a trivia game. I'm okay. just going to ask you the question and you tell me. So okay, great. <laughs> is it okay to steal somebody's shoes or personal items? I think probably yes. Yes, it may not be a wise idea because it is a social game, but you could. Can you steal an idol or an advantage out of somebody's bag?
1: That I think we talked about. That's a no.
3: That's a no. And really the dividing line is if it's player to player, then yeah, you could burn somebody's shoes as people have done. But if it's production related, if we're involved, then the answer is no. It doesn't mean you can't look in their bag and see that they have one, but you can't take it. You also couldn't break into the birdcage, even though physically, of course, you could. And Kevin might even be able to put his hand through there, but that's not how it works. I mean, players are pretty cool about respecting the fact that this is what you can do and do it. And this is what you're not allowed to do. So please don't.
1: Okay, here's question number three.
0: Hi, Jeff. This is Karen from Winnipeg. If you haven't already planned to, I would love to hear an episode about the music of Survivor. It is so good. I personally have downloaded a bunch of challenge music and ancient voices, and I listen to them on my workout playlist to get me pumped up. Sometimes I'll even listen to them when I'm doing word puzzles to increase the intensity as prep for when I get on Survivor. I'm loving the pod. Thanks. Bye.
3: I love that. And I've heard that from other people, that the music is inspirational when you're working out. So Survivor's History of Musicians is it started with two composers, David Vanacore and Russ Landau. Russ Landau is who wrote Ancient Voices. Russ is no longer with the show. So for the past many years, it's been Vanicore's show. And he's written thousands of cues over the years. So that challenge music you're listening to most likely is from Vanacore. And we have this library now and we use that for most of our scenes, but he also scores a scene as well. So anytime Vanacore is watching the finished cut and he's now doing a pass, they're, they're doing a spotting session and they're going to look for music cues. Vanacore can say, let me score that. I know what to do there. And that means you would get fresh new music written specifically for that scene.
0: And David also goes to location and gets lots of local music and musicians and singers, which is so cool. Um, Like with Fiji, whenever you hear those tribal voices or yells or singing, those are local Fijian musicians that Vanacore finds out there.
3: And what's fun is he will send us a little video. We'll be shooting and he'll be in a small recording studio somewhere in Fiji. And he's got this group of singers and literally you'll hear like the most melodic sounds and they'll sing together. They'll have like a little chorus or it'll be whoa, 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 whoa. And it just it's crazy cool. And then you hear them layered into the score and it, you know, it gives you goosebumps.
1: And another thing that I think was really cool, just to add myself into this, is that Vannecourt then also wrote the music for this podcast,
3: which I think was really great. And just bragging on a 19-year-old who lives in the same home I live in, that screaming rock guitar is Michael Gossler. That was very fun. Every time I hear it, I love knowing he recorded that in our home in his little music studio.
1: All right, here's the next question, and it's from Vaughn. And he asked, Hi, Jeff and Brittany, but mostly Jay, because you'll read this, which I did. My roommate and I (laughs) rewatch old seasons to stay entertained between new episodes of 44, and we just finished season four, Survivor Marquesas. The season finale is similar to all the others. You walk out of tribal and start heading towards the beach, but this time... You get into a helicopter. Then the helicopter flies to New York City. (laughs) Then we get a long shot of the Statue of Liberty. Then the helicopter lands and we get this super long, (laughs) super weird scene of you taking a taxi ride, (laughs) which includes shots of you and the driver, as well as aerial shots of New York. Then the taxi drops you off at Central Park for the live finale. And I just need to know, why did this happen? Whose idea was it (laughs) to make a five-minute long montage to transition you from the Marquesas Islands to Central Park? And a follow-up, why did Rosie O'Donnell host the reunion?
3: The whole situation made us
1: cackle, but oh, left us with so many I questions. Love this.
3: Thank you. <laughs> Great question from Vaughn. There's a lot here. It started in the early seasons. We did this really cool transition from location like Africa to our studio in either LA or New York. And we did them live. And I got to say, they were pretty good. We matched it so that you didn't realize we had cut from tribal council on location to tribal council in a studio. Even having the players dress the same and everything. So it was really cool. And at the time, I was super impressed. It was Mark's idea and that the teams pulled it off really blew me away. Then we started thinking, well, what else could we do that would be fun? So we started having these ideas where, well, what if it was funny how you had to get the votes back to America. So, the one that Vaughn is talking about, I remember shooting it and I remember being on that helicopter in New York was pretty cool cuz I'm hanging out the the side of it and you're flying through the buildings in New York <laughs> and the cab driver was a friend of mine, still is, Rich Bogle. That was just an inside joke. I've had as many of those on the show as I can. Anytime somebody says (laughs) an opportunity and I see a place to put something in for me, I do it. So Rich, I just said, Hey man, do you want to, we're going to do this live transition. You want to drive the cab? So that's why we talked and why it looks so weird. Because it was weird. It made no sense, but we did it because we thought it was fun. And 20 years ago, It was fun. And a lot of people got a kick out of them, even though Vaughn said it made them cackle. A lot of people still ask me, when are you going to do more of those? Because we did several for many years.
0: I, I remember the Amazon. I loved that one.
3: The Amazon. Okay. I jet skied out of the Amazon in the Rio Negro with crocodiles on both sides of the water And the joke was, it was great. Yeah, I I jet skied all the way from the Amazon, and then we cut to me in the Hudson River in New York, (laughs) and I'm still on my jet ski. But what was really memorable about that was we were all still recovering from 9 11. It was still very present. And so, on the jet ski, I go past the Statue of Liberty and I stop, and we take a moment. And I am getting goosebumps right now because I remember where we were in the studio when we did that in New York, in David Letterman's studio, and I'm backstage and I hear the audience react to seeing the shot. And it was instant and thunderous applause. And it was about patriotism. And it was a reminder that we're all, you know, this country that's trying to heal. And I felt so cool to be a part of that. The downside of that shoot was, I was in the Hudson River for like seven hours and I I had moderate hypothermia when I got out. I'm not kidding. What? I was frozen. I was in my hotel room for like two days and my feet were thawing the entire time. They were like rocks because all I had on was my shirt and my pants and some shoes.
0: Your island clothes. My island
3: clothes because Mark's <laughs> like, it's got to be authentic. That water was freezing, but that was a very fun one. I still love seeing it.
1: How about Vanuatu?
3: Oh, Vanuatu, the bit was I was going to skydive with the votes. So I go out to a place in California and I start training to skydive. And one of the things when you know you're going to do a solo jump, which is what I was going to do, is they start you that way from the beginning. So you don't do a tandem jump. Where you're on their back. Wow. So my very first jump was alone, wow. and the way they do it is they have two people with you. One person goes out first, then you jump, and then the next person jumps. So they're bookending you, and they're so talented. They literally are like birds. They can go fast or slow, and they, you know, so you're never really right. in trouble because they can grab you and save you. So when you skydive, they tell you to do two things: check your altimeter, which is how high up are you and check your horizon line to make sure that your body is oriented right. And you're supposed to pull your chute at 5,500 feet. At least I was. So you check your altimeter, you look at your horizon. You check your altimeter, you look at your horizon. Well, this is like my sixth jump. I'm feeling very confident. So I decide, I check my altimeter, okay? And then I look at the horizon, and I decide to take in beautiful California. So I'm just looking at the horizon and thinking, oh, this is amazing. And I look down at my altimeter, and it says 4,500 feet. And I go, 4,500 feet. 4,500. That's less than 5,500. i was supposed to pull my shoot at 5,500. Oh <laughs> so suddenly I go, oh my God. And what they teach you to do is to wave your arms together like an X. That lets everybody know I'm pulling my shoot. And then they tell you very specifically, when you reach back to pull your shoot, when you grab it, punch out to make sure none of your clothing gets tangled up. So I reach back and I punch out. And my chute goes up. I'm like, oh, thank God. Then I look at my chute. And the next thing they teach you is to ask yourself two questions. Is it there? Meaning, is your parachute above your head? And is it (laughs) is it square? Is it square? Is it it there? And is it square? I look up. Is it there? Yes. Is it square? No. Meaning it doesn't have four points. It has not Uh, opened. This is no lie. All I could remember was they said, in that case, scissor kick. So I'm at 4,400 feet. I'm quickly getting close to the ground and I scissor kick and the chute opens. Boom, 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 boom. And it's great. And I adjust and I land and I get to the bottom and I see one of my instructors and his sweatshirt is covered in this brown stain. And I say, oh man, you're not gonna believe what happened up there. And he goes, I'm not gonna believe. He goes, do you know what happened? Uh, no. What happened? He goes, I'll tell you what happened. You locked in on your horizon, man. You were really locked in. So locked in that you missed your time when you were supposed to pull the chute. So I came in to pull your chute for you just as you reached out and punched (laughs) with it. And I hit him in the nose. And he said he had a brownout. He said, for a second, I passed out. But then I came back. And he's so good. He still beat me to the bottom and was waiting. And I am now shaking. And Brittany, I said, I'm done. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. We're going up right now. And right now, what? as I'm telling you the story, my palms are sweating. It happens every time I and tell the story. My because-
0: palms are sweating. My palms <laughs> <Because> are sweating.
3: <laughs> I'm reminded of how scary it was to go back up. And the entire time, all he did, this guy was so good to me. He said, tell me again. I go, okay, I'm going to step out. I'm going to look out. I'm going to jump off. I'm going to check my altimeter. I'm going to check the horizon. I'm going to check my altimeter at 5,500 feet. I'm going to do the X. I'm going to punch out. I'm going to land. And he made me do it. And I ended up you know, figuring it out. But one of the scariest times in my life. And you
0: got back out there. That's awesome.
3: I did. And he was a good instructor. And the last part of this, Rosie O'Donnell, that confused a lot of people in the beginning because we would do these live reunion shows. And for the first couple of years, Bryant Gumbel did it. What they were doing was promoting the CBS morning show. And then when Bryant got tired of doing it, and Bryant's awesome, they asked Rosie. And I think after that, the conventional wisdom was maybe we should have that dude that hosts the show. What's his name again? Propes. (laughs) Maybe we should give him a try. And so Mark finally persuaded him to let me try it. And then fortunately they let me keep doing it. And that's how that happened.
1: Well, that's absolutely insane. And having heard that story, I would (laughs) never skydive ever in my life and my palms are still sweating. And I'm not going to ever skydive again either. (laughs) Okay, good. We can be in solidarity on that one. All right. Here is question number five. Hi. I always enjoyed the seasons that put the castaways in different environments than normal, such as Africa or the Amazon. Is there any chance that we leave the beaches of Fiji in the future? I always thought a season in a snowy environment or a desert could be really cool and maybe even change some of the players' strategies. That's from Glenn.
3: Great question from Glenn. I know it's one a lot of people wonder about. Essentially what he's saying is, why are you only in Fiji right now? And so if we celebrate the places we've been, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, going back, uh, Australia, season two, the Outback, very rugged. Africa, probably the greatest location for me anyway, because every day was literally a safari. We were in this amazing place and seeing wildlife every day. We had the Amazon, one of the spookiest places I've ever been. You never knew what was coming out (laughs) of the jungle or out of the water. And then Cambodia was just inspiring and Thailand and China and Nicaragua and the Philippines and Palau, where I remember we used the money, stone money. That was part of the story because we would always involve the culture. And so there were all these really fun places. Here's the truth. I'll give you some of the reasons that our locations are now limited 20 years later. Finding a deserted place to shoot is much tougher because a lot of the places that we have shot at now have either resorts or homes on those islands. The size of our crew has gotten bigger. We're now minimum 400. So finding deserted islands that can house that many people is very difficult. I get pitched all the time. Hey, there's this great little island a friend of mine knows about. (laughs) They've got a bed and breakfast there that'll you know, sleep six people I'm like, yeah, no, dude, we're, we're massive. And then the budget, the value of the dollar in certain countries isn't as strong as it used to be. And our budget on this show does not go up. And then the last two things are political unrest, which there is a fair amount of around the world. And so there are places that we don't feel safe to go. And there are places that we wouldn't feel comfortable Supporting. And then the environment. I mean, the extreme weather. I'm not going to get into a debate on global warming. I can only say (laughs) something's changing because the storms are intense and that has knocked out a few locations as well. So Brittany, why don't you weigh in on the the other thing Glenn asked about is a cold environment, which people do pitch Mm -hmm. as something they think would be interesting. What do you think?
0: I mean, personally, that's just, I don't think that's our show. I feel like that just is an entirely different design. You know, we we want people to live in the elements, but we're also playing a game. I feel like living in winter elements on its own, like that's its own game. And it's just, yeah, a different show.
3: That's where we always come down is that it's hard on the gear, but it's also you want to bundle up when you're cold. You don't want to go spearfishing. And I just want to finish by saying, even though we're still in Fiji, it's pretty spectacular out there. I mean, the water is amazing. You can go down 30 or 40 feet in terms of clarity. And they have these gorgeous islands and the weather's really good. And base camp's great. And we have an amazing relationship with the government, which is very important because I'll tell you, there were some places we've been where you didn't know if you were going to get out of there. Like, were they going to, you know, hold you for a ransom? Like, we want extra money before we let you leave and take your tapes or whatever the deal was. So I'm grateful every day that we have a partnership with Fiji. And if you're looking for somewhere to visit on a vacation, depending on what you want, Fiji is spectacular. Okay, here's question number six.
2: Hey, Jeff. Christian here from San Francisco. And I'm wondering, do you have a favorite catchphrase? Mine is, let's get it on.
3: All right. First of all, I'm going to acknowledge it's a little weird for me to be talking about my catchphrases, but I'll power through. (laughs) Okay. I think it's interesting that Christian put, let's get it on. Cause I, I wouldn't even have put that in there, but I do realize now that I say it a lot and now I'm probably going to say it always. (laughs) (laughs) Um, some, the ones I really like, let's see my favorite. I think my favorite is probably got nothing for you. And the reason is I like, I just like the word nothing, not nothing. So I like that. And yeah, <laughs> not you, but I know where it came from. And it came from me adopting a somewhat dismissive attitude at a certain point in the series where I was like, Hey man, if you can't figure out how to win, I certainly don't have anything to help you. So get your <laughs> stuff and get out of here. You know, that's where it came from, but, but right alongside it is the good natured I'm just ribbing. Yes, I mean it. Yes, you suck, but I'm just, I'm just giving you a hard time. So I think that's my favorite. What? You, how about you, Britt? Is there one that you hear that you like having in the show?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think since doing this podcast and learning the backstory, I got to say The Tribe Has Spoken might be my name. I, did, I
3: didn't even think of The Tribe Has Spoken as a phrase. Oh, I know why. Because I didn't write it. That's why. It's, it's not on my list. That's a Markism. Um, I will say one funny little inside joke is on the hats that I wear on the show, the interior, the lining has all those phrases on the scene. No yeah. And Peter Geist, who used to be a producer on our show, his mom, Leslie Geist, designed these hats. And I think it was her idea to say, Why don't we take all those phrases and it'll be your little secret. It'll just be in the interior of the hat. So whenever I'm confused, I just take my hat off and I go, oh, that's right. Want to know what you're playing for? Uh, All right, Jay, let's take a quick break and then we'll get to more of your questions. This is On Fire with Jeff Brooks. Welcome back to On Fire with Jeff Probst. Jay, hit us up with another question.
1: Okay, here's our next question, and it comes from Jennifer, and she asks, Hi, Jeff, why did the food challenges stop? I remember in the earlier seasons, they would eat bugs and other gross things. Will you bring them back?
3: Okay, this is a simple answer, and the answer is, we would love to do a gross food eating challenge. But the history of those and how they started is, they were based on this idea that when we would go visit another culture, did they have things that on a daily basis, they ate the same way we might eat a potato chip or an apple or something, but to us would seem really gross. And so that's where it started. So that we were trying to show the contrast of here's a culture who does this. Can you do it? And that was the basic challenge. And when we ran out of locations that had that kind of a, an element to it, we tried to do a generic gross food eating thing. And we put a bunch of things in a blender and we made a smoothie and it just didn't satisfy me anyway, because there was no real point to it. And so it's weird that, that Jennifer asked this question because in anticipation and preparation for, for survivor 45, I actually wrote our executive team and said, can we look into what would be required to get balut from Asia and get some grubs and fly them to Fiji Then we would do a best of, and it would be from all the locations we've gone to, you're going to now be tasked with trying to eat these foods. And that felt like it would work. Turns out, you can't ship those things from one country (laughs) to another, I'm sure for very good reasons. So safe to say, Jennifer, that the gross food eating for the moment is dead.
1: All right. Well, here is question number eight. Hey, Jeff. It's Evan from Colorado Springs. Sometimes the footage of animals on Survivor looks a little animatronic. Does production have a collection of mechanical snakes, iguanas, howler monkeys, etc., that you
3: parade around on the show? All right, Brittany, we can both answer this. I'll start by saying I think it's funny that, <laughs> I mean... that nobody's ever suggested that they're fake insects <laughs> no, or monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> they're all real. And Brittany, why don't you walk through? the randomness of a crew seeing something in the tree and a beauty day.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So sometimes our crew will just see something like a bat in a tree or, you know, a snake slithering along while they're shooting other stuff and they'll just turn around and shoot it. And that's when they get it because they're in the live jungle, you know? And other days we have dedicated to go out and actually collect these shots of animals. So our camera crews will go out and search all day and shoot every animal they can find.
3: You know, Evan mentioned howler monkeys <laughs> which are from Nicaragua and they're the, the I have a story they're they're not very big but they make this gigantic sound that is horrifying. <laughs> so and true. so we were shooting in Nicaragua and our kids were little and they came to location and they brought their cousins, Chupi and Evan, Alyssa and Evan. So one night when we didn't have tribal, I take them in my four-wheeler and we go driving in the jungle in its pitch black. And for fun, I would turn the, the headlights off. So now they're freaking out because you literally can't see anything. I'd only do it for a few <laughs> feet. But in those few feet, it was like you were in a, some kind of crazy ride at Disneyland, only not the kind of Disneyland you really want to go to. And so we would drive through the jungle and they started doing this TV show in their head. They would go, welcome back. We're howler hunting, looking for the famous howler monkey in the jungles of Nicaragua, and so we get out of the car, and now we're on foot, and we're walking, and we're having fun, and we're laughing, and all of a sudden I decide, let me do a howler monkey call. Let me just see if I can get one. I don't know what I'm talking about. I can't <laughs> do a howler monkey call. I'm just playing around. But so I go. <laughs> Nothing. And then a second later, the biggest, <laughs> loudest. Whoa, 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 and and we and the, the kids, Evan and Alyssa and Michael and Ava, start sprinting back to the truck because it sounded like it was on top of us and was going to eat all five of us at once.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I believe that. was <laughs> a scene right out of Jurassic Park.
3: <laughs> it might be, but that was uh the minute I every time I hear Holler Monkeys, I think of that story. Great okay, story.
2: next question.
1: Okay, here's question number nine.
2: Hey, Brittany, Jay, and Jeff. It's Survivor Superfan Steven from Maryland, and I have a very
3: important question for Jeff. How much time do you wait in real time
2: after asking if anyone has an advantage at tribal council before reading the votes? Do you do like a five Mississippi count in your head? Okay.
3: That's a good question. And it, it doesn't have a specific answer. It really is a vibe thing. I give it a beat and I'm watching and I'm reading the moment as well. And if I see somebody contemplating, I might give them an extra beat, but what ends up happening every time is when I finally decide to read the votes, I will say, okay, I'll, and that's when somebody interrupts the minute they hear, okay, okay. Yeah, Jeff, and now you know you got something. What else you got, Jay? Question number 10.
1: Hi, Jeff. My name is Lauren, and I'm such a big fan of the show. I have watched every season, and hopefully someday I'll be a contestant. I have always wondered, what do you do all day when you're not on camera? Thanks.
3: Love you guys so much. Bye. I'm not sure this is interesting, but I'm sure lots of people will write in to tell us if it's not. Um, (laughs) All right. Here's a (laughs) run-through of my day. I wake up typically around 5:30. I have some coffee. I look at what is planned for the day, even though I looked at it the night before and I've been looking at it for the last month, but I still, I just refresh like, okay, what are, what are we doing today? And then usually we'll have a challenge. So I'll do my little prep, which means of course, which shirt and hat am I going to wear? Uh-huh. And then we <laughs> shoot the challenge and then our schedule is really good. Cause we can come back. Everybody can come back and grab lunch. And then we usually have a rehearsal in the afternoon. We might also have a test block either in the field or sometimes we'll go back to art department and it'll really be rough. Like literally just one piece of the challenge in the middle of the runway we talked about. And we'll look at that. And then we could easily have a creative meeting after that where we might sit in the challenge department and brainstorm how we're going to do something. And then we prepare for tribal. We shoot tribal and we're usually done around 9.30.
1: So it sounds like a pretty simple
0: little easy day you got there. <laughs> yeah, then hopefully you get some sleep after that.
3: Yeah, I mean, Brittany can attest. I'm not trying to make that sound like it's some arduous day. It's just you're not here to do anything other than work. You know, that's what we do when we're here. So we do get up and we go hard and then we sleep and then the show's over and we're super proud and we put another season on and then we come back and we do it again. Let's get another question in.
1: Okay, our next question comes from Jimmy. He asks... Hey, Jeff, would you ever consider having a season full of contestants who were voted out first or otherwise left too early to really showcase their potential? I would really love to see Francesca finally get a chance to not get voted out first.
3: All right, I get this idea pitched as much as any other idea, and I think it sounds more fun than it might actually be, and here's why. The truth is, we do have some amazing players who were voted off first. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we have enough for an entire season. You'd be going back a lot of years. It's very unlikely the average fan would remember every first off player. And they were first off in some cases for a reason, you know, that for whatever reason, the tribe didn't want them around. And secondly, from a marketing standpoint, here would be your ad campaign, They were all voted out first, and now they're back to play again. Survivor 48. (laughs) I don't know, but I have an idea off Jimmy's idea. Britt, if you you were going to do this, would it Mm -hmm. improve it if it was one tribe of, say, first offs versus one tribe of runner-ups? So now you have Ah. people who barely got their feet wet versus people who made it all the way to the end, and the one thing they have in common... They didn't win. Is there anything there?
0: I mean, definitely more interesting than a full season of people who couldn't make the cut. But yeah, I think in some
1: cases, to Jimmy's point, you did have people who got voted out first and you wanted to see them play. But I imagine that doesn't fill a whole season. And so I love the idea of a never won season. Not that I would call it that necessarily, but it'd be fun to watch.
3: Yeah, Jay, what would you call it? Let's see. Let's show. Let's see how easy it is to come up with a name for a season
1: Survivor 47 winning isn't everything. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next question. (laughs) All right. Question number 12. Hey, Jeff. It's Jen from Berkshire, Math. I just have one question.
2: Can we please get the intro back? I miss the simple things in life.
3: I love the main title opening. I love it. I, okay. Here's the only reason it's not in the show is that, No show today, other than big prestige shows like Succession or, you know, a Game of Thrones type of show, nobody has a main title longer than about seven seconds, if that. And the reason is, at least on network broadcast television, you only have so much time. So you're going to dedicate an entire minute, which doesn't sound like much, but I'm telling you in one minute on an episode of Survivor, the entire game can change. That's how much screen time it is. So here's the thing, Jen. Yes, we'll put it on the board. Yes, we'll try to find a way to do some version of it with the asterisk that we may never do it again, just based on time.
0: Jen, I'm on the sidelines and I got your back.
3: (laughs) I'll be putting in the word for you from over here. And Brittany is the same producer who will then be calling me to say, hey, man, I think we got to cut the main title. (laughs) I have this one last scene I can't fit in.
1: Well, speaking of He's based on right. time, we have reached our final question of the episode, and that is this one.
3: Hi, guys, This is Brooklyn. I'm from Utah. So once upon a time, we had these magical things called live finales. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if they will ever come back. Did they die? What happened? I need to know. Thank you. Loving the podcast. Bye. Uh, yeah. OK. No disagreement. Live finales are a lot of fun. And uh, I'll give you some of the, off the top of my head, some of the pros, some of the reasons they're fun. Great energy. It's a really fun night. There are lots of people want to come. Tickets are very hard to get, very limited space. And doing that final episode with a live audience watching it is so fun. Brittany's been there. You're sitting backstage and you are seeing it play on a monitor, but then you hear the audience in the studio going, oh, no, boo, yay. It's, it's really cool. And we've had some great live moments at those finales in Survivor All-Stars. Jerry Manthe got upset, walked off stage uh, in All-Stars. Rob proposed to Amber. Oh, yeah. There was one live finale when this guy, Dan, He started challenging me about something, whether it was true or not. And I said, Dan, don't go there because I got the footage. And he went there. And so we danced a little. (laughs) Got nothing for you, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Got nothing for you. That was also when Sia stood up the first time and wanted to give Ty some money. And we started the Sia Prize. So there's been lots of fun. And the band was Vanacore. Uh, leading it, sometimes with Russ Landau as well. But after Russ left the show, it became David's thing. And so that was fun to have the live music. But I'll tell you the number one thing I didn't like about the live shows is that I always felt like because the entire season had played out and the public had weighed in on social media, that instead of the players getting to really celebrate what they had done, which is participate in this awesome adventure, they felt the need to defend their game. And I always felt like it lost a little purity for them because that experience had been tarnished by the opinions of others. And that is one thing that I really like about the after show that we're doing in the jungle is the reactions are pure. And at that point, the players are still proud of how they played and they're raw and they're authentic. So will they ever come back? Never say never. They certainly could. I love them. They're super fun. But right now, we're happy with the after show and Brittany is cutting the after show for this season. She's doing the finale and the after show. And this one is really fun. We're starting to find our rhythm. And so I think for now we stick with this. And then if there comes a point where we should do another live big reunion, then we'll do it for sure. All right, Brittany. In this episode, <laughs> with the thing I love the most, this is why you suck. This, this
0: is why you suck. Jeff. Jeff. You aren't listening to the fans. You just do whatever you want. A merge vote with five people, being too lazy to put the auction back in despite being able to literally Google ideas from fans. And I know they're there because I wrote some. And there's <laughs> more. But we don't have that kind of time. The players aren't playing Survivor anymore. They're getting played by Survivor. Oh, Who is that my. fun for? Hillary.
3: Hillary. All right, Hillary. I am curious why you watch when Survivor so clearly annoys you. We don't want to ruin your show, emerge with five people. You say it's not good. I say it's evolution or experimentation. And at least that's how I see it. And I think it's really interesting because the theme, what I've really learned from This Is Why You Suck is that there is a common thread to people who don't like me or what I'm doing on the show. They don't like experimentation or exploration, or evolution, or any of the other shuns. But the question got me to thinking of my own life. So here's what I thought, Brittany. I'm sure that I hold on to ideals as well. Like in the way somebody wants Survivor to be pure, I'm sure I do that in my own personal life. You know, certain habits or the way I see the world, or this is the haircut, and I'm going to stick with it. (laughs) So why am I not as open to experimentation with myself as I am with Survivor? It's interesting. I don't feel any pressure to evolve my look or to drive a certain car. I don't feel any pressure socially, really, other than trying to be a good friend to my group of friends. But on Survivor, I feel this tremendous responsibility to explore, experiment, evolve. And that's really for one reason. This is what I always come back to. And Hillary may not like this answer. But if the show died, and I don't want it to, but if it died because of me, I'd rather it died because he went too far. He lost his mind. And at that point, first of all, side note, I'd head to Switzerland so I could just end it all peacefully without a doctor's consent. But as I drifted off, (laughs) as I drifted off, I would say, it's better to burn out than fade away. Okay, for you, Hillary, I'm going to figure out the auction, but only for you. So just know that when I'm doing it, I'm thinking only of you. So when you hear me say, (laughs) Welcome to the Survivor Auction. What I'm really thinking is <laughs> welcome to Hillary's Survivor Auction. <laughs> All right. Next week on On Fire with Jeff Probst, we're getting to the final three. There are six players left in the game. We're going to get you set up for the finale. All new Survivor episodes, 8, 7 Central on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. Thank you for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. And we will see you next week.
2: Friday, and streaming on Paramount+. Cal Fire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high-complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules. Then you shave another day off your sentence. Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate. You're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS, and now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.